You're listening to The Business Marketing Show, episode number 26. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Hi everyone, Ed K. Smith here from Business Marketing Show with my co-host Brendan Tully. How are you today, Brendan? I'm good, Ed. How are you? Very good, thank you, mate. Very good indeed. Uh, we're always in a good mood because we do this podcast on a Friday. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and it's not that we, you know, we don't go through life wishing that it was Friday, but some but some weeks Fridays are much more appealing than others. Um, <laughs> And even though it's only been a short week, we've only because we've had a day holiday this week. It's uh, hasn't been too bad. <laughs> so, Brendan, we are going to be talking about uh, e-commerce quick wins today. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, your favourite subject again. One of, one of, <laughs> one of my favourite subjects. <laughs> They're all our favourite subjects. This one's probably more of a favourite subject to you because you spend a lot, lot, lot more time in the e-commerce space than I do, and it's you know part of one of your your business. Yes. Um, and for for Pareto e-commerce, so let's get into it. Yeah, sure. So I guess the idea was we talk a lot about regular small business or traditional types of business. So mm-hmm. I figured we would put together an episode more dedicated towards e-commerce businesses so yep yeah i do a lot of stuff with e-commerce i used to own an online store 10 or so years ago quite a big one um and recently we've split out our e-commerce services out into their own brand proto e-commerce but um anyway let's get into the quick wins i guess can you hear those airplanes overhead yeah i can hear those airplanes overhead they sound like they're landing on your head yeah um <laughs> <laughs> you might want to cut that out. No, no, that's what that adds to adds to the end. There's a whole bunch of fighter planes in the air lately, so I don't know what's going oh, on. Oh, okay. Maybe a civil war's about to break out <laughs> and we don't know about. Maybe it's the, the zombie apocalypse. Maybe this could be this could be the last e commerce podcast known to man <laughs> before the zombie apocalypse. So let's make it a good one. <laughs> I hope not. But anyway. <laughs> It would sort of make everything we talk about completely irrelevant. Um, but let's just go for it anyway and assume that the zombie apocalypse is not going to happen. Yeah. All right. So, I have seven steps here. Most of them are DIY and they're pretty simple, pretty easy to wrap your head around. Um, the first one is, and we may, we've definitely talked about it before, kind of glanced over on other episodes, to get Google mm-hmm. product listing ads set up. Um, so, those are the... Search results that appear in Google when you type in a buying search term. So usually buy and a product name or buy product name online or product name for sale online or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, where Google detects you have online buying intent, the Google product listing ads will trigger. Um, and we have talked about this now. I remember we talked about it in the AdWords episode, but they are, they used to be free, but now they're paid. So they're part of AdWords. Yep. Um, and they're a common, they're kind of a combination of SEO and AdWords. So you do pay for them, but they're a lot cheaper than traditional AdWords. Uh, and when people click on them, they're a lot more qualified. So if someone's going to type in a buying term and then click on your ad, they're, you know, it's highly likely that they're in a kind of getting towards making a buying decision or ready to buy something. So. Yep. That makes perfect sense. So it's a very good pre-qualification and 
yeah, if you can get, well, as an example, if someone was typing in by a Canon camera and a particular model number, as an example, um, as opposed to someone just typing in Canon and the model number um, and, and just having a normal ad, so you're saying it's going to be cheaper using that tactic and having it set up in the, in the, is it still called Google Shopping or is it? Uh, yes, yeah, sorry, it's called Google Shopping now. It was called Google Product Listing Ads, you're right. Okay. I, I was, <laughs> look, it used to be called Google Shopping. <laughs> then it was changed to Google Product Listing Ads. Now it's Google Shopping again. Oh, has it gone back to it again? Oh, yeah, because it used to be Google Shopping. Ah, oh, they're so confused. It used to be the that, Google Merchant Center, Frugal, oh, classic that's, They Google. just create jobs for themselves, these guys, so yeah, they can do something. I think they have a whole team dedicated just to rebranding stuff for the sake of rebranding it. Yeah, I think you're right there. Okay, so Google Shopping. Uh, so if you've got that, buy in front of it that will uh, help target your audience and target your traffic and also reduce your costs so great fantastic tip if that was the only thing that people do from the rest of this podcast that's probably a very good one yeah like i've had a few clients lately uh kind of beginner or new e-commerce sites asking to do seo search engine optimization and i said no because seo for e-commerce is very hard and very expensive but instead, I said, suggested they should be doing the product listing ads because, in comparison, it's quick. It, it kind of because it is a combination of SEO and AdWords. So there are some ranking factors which determine whether your products show up, and there are some of the AdWords elements around your know, bid or you know AdWords are still on auction. Um, so the highest bidder will typically show. But because it's a combination of both, it kind of has the strength of both. So you you can turn it on; it'll start working tomorrow. Uh, you know, you get traffic instantly and it's actually really cheap compared to normal AdWords. So I do this before any other traffic generation tactic and usually for most e-commerce businesses, it is the cheapest and highest quality form of traffic, probably apart from email marketing. But, you know, compared to normal AdWords or doing, you know, full SEO on the website or using something like eBay or Amazon, it's still probably the cheapest, highest quality traffic source. So Yeah, yeah. And look... we talk about email marketing, but of course, the catch with email marketing is you have to build a list to yep. be able to market to someone on email. So you've really got to go through this process first. If you don't have the original traffic coming to your site from wherever SEO, AdWords, Google Shopping, uh, then you can't convert that into into a list. So this is really step one out of the two. But of course, once they're on the list, then you can market your products and services and specials and blah 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 and that the that that as in terms of cost per conversion from the email is typically going to be a lot less than the original cost of conversion from from the ad so Mm -hmm. so yeah i agree i mean i really uh have never wanted to do seo for clients that have had e-commerce stores for the reason you mentioned before it's very time consuming and expensive because you've now, you can typically have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of line items that you've got to do SEO for. And yeah. how do you, how do you warrant the time has, that has to be spent in, in, in doing each of those? It's when doing an ad campaign with Google shopping would be a hell of a lot quicker. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is the big thing because you're not, if you're doing like really detailed SEO, you're not just looking to rank one keyword. There are multiple keywords for each product. So. Yeah, a lot more complex, and it's an ongoing thing, and the, obviously it's a big cost attached to that. Even though, I guess the, we always talk about the, the misconception that SEO is free. It's not because you're going to have to do it yourself or pay someone to do it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So okay, awesome. So that's that one. So what's next? What's next is good quality hosting or a cloud-based e-commerce CMS. 
Mm-hmm. And this is probably more for existing e-commerce businesses where, and I see this quite a bit, that the website still looks good and looks okay, but the underlying e-commerce engine driving the site is just not really up to scratch. It's either it's an old piece of software that is, you know, it's an open source e-commerce cart that's no longer supported or no longer updated or it's just old or it's a custom-built e-commerce CMS that the web company, whoever they got to build the website five years ago, that was their CMS and they don't, in that case, typically they don't add new features like support for Google Shopping, for example, because Google Shopping needs a price feed from your database. So Mm. um, what we do with a lot of clients is, well, the hosting, we've talked about hosting so much that it's a fundamental component. So the hosting just needs to be fast and reliable and um, the website needs to be loading in under five seconds. And particularly with e-commerce, because the website really is your shop, any downtime means the doors are closed. So um, if you're on crappy hosting, there's going to be quite a bit of downtime. And someone said to me the other day, but my hosting has 99.9% uptime. Yeah, but that still means it's down for at least a whole day of the year. So, I mean, that means you're closed one day of the year, but you don't want to be closed as well. So good quality hosting, and then with the the CMS side of things, often we will take a client who is on an old CMS, keep the design the same, and move them to a new CMS, or I guess a current cloud-based CMS like Shopify or BigCommerce, and keep the design the same or almost the same. So Mm -hmm. because there's nothing wrong with the design, the problem is in the software. And an e-commerce business is different because the whole business effectively runs on top of that e-commerce platform. So... That's where they're managing the customers and the orders and they do all the work inside that piece of software. So if it's really basic or it doesn't have a lot of these newer features, then that means the business is inefficient and has all these other problems. So usually these days we will move the customer to Shopify. That's my e-commerce platform of choice at the moment because it's fast. So it's on their hosting environment. They take care of all that. It's cheap. It has a whole bunch of features. It's updated regularly. It's search engine friendly. And it just works. So yeah. And what about support for someone something like Shopify? Because uh, a lot of the people listening to this, uh, a lot of our clients are through Australia and New Zealand. Um, so there's good support because qu- quite often a lot of these things are US centric that I've, yeah. I've experienced in the past. So you to try and get the service for a company who's in Australia, it's sort of they've, they've got to try and call them up at two o'clock in the morning our time to get someone there if it's not twenty four seven. So I've never had, well, there's two parts to that. One is because it's a cloud-based CMS and it's a lot more reliable and robust, there's less need for support. You don't need to call support because it's down all of a sudden, um, which you often get with, you know, a third-party CMS or a CMS from a web company. So you're Mm. relying on support less and typically it's more responsive. And there, if there is a system-wide problem, they're onto it. But I've never had that issue where I have to be up in the middle of the night to call them. I haven't had that yet. And I deal with a lot of e-commerce clients, so I don't. I think that's really a non-issue. That would be an edge case where you have to actually get on the phone to them. I think. Yeah, times have changed, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, it used to be back in the day when you were running your e-commerce business, you had to have your own servers that you were managing, and mm-hmm. you had all sorts of complications and expenses. So when you see what it costs now to set up a... Yeah, it's nothing. It's it's nothing. It's ridiculous. Back then, so that was only 2004, and I can tell you the servers we had. So we had two servers for the website itself. We had a website server and a database server. 
So that were they were IBM servers, so they were five to ten grand each. They sat in a hosting environment that we had to pay money for to have the servers there. We had a server that just managed the ticket and customer service system. So that you know, there's another couple of thousand dollars of hardware and then it needs to be maintained. And then we had a server to do the email. We had a exchange server. So that's four servers for what so in my business today, um you know, or today for any business those servers would be maybe to get the same services a hundred maybe 200 bucks a month depending on the size of the business so yeah easily and you're, I mean you're looking at something like Shopify for getting started like I think this is newest prices but about $29 US a month um, for the basic entry-level Shopify account which would probably suit a lot of people who are just starting up an e-commerce store uh, but even then the next jump to that for the professional one is $79 um, so that you know, that's, that's really inexpensive. Yeah. The other so, thing is, we had two, we had one and a half full-time developers working on the site. So we had a, a full-time guy sitting there writing, doing programming, and looking after the site. And then we had another guy who was spending some of his time on it as well. Like, think about that. That's one and a half staff at Western wage rates. You know, that's ridiculous. So Yeah. And look, I mean, there's plenty of examples. And we're just talking about Shopify at the moment or big commerce. You can probably, you know, look across either of them and they're very similar in what they have. Uh, but in terms of the variations of size of people who have e-commerce stores from your little sort of corner store you know, equivalent of a e-commerce shop right up to a multinational, you know, Fortune 500 store, there's... That they all they're all using these sorts of platforms, aren't they? And, mm-hmm. and everywhere in between. And now, you know, obviously, a lot of big e-commerce uh, stores have their own customized stuff that they've done. Uh, but would there is there? A, do you think there's a limit to these types of services like Shopify? Do you think for the most the average person listening to this podcast, this is going to do the do the job well and truly? Is that yeah, would that I, be an accurate statement? I would say for eighty or ninety percent of e-commerce businesses, something like Shopify or Big Commerce or Volusion that you take off the shelf will do the job. And then there are, the other thing is there's hundreds of other apps that plug into them. So mm. if the, if say Shopify can't do it directly, there's probably a piece of software that can plug into it that will do that for you. There are some cases where you might want to go into a bigger system like Magento, but then again, you're going to need your own servers, your own staff to manage it. Something like that needs full time support resources and developers and all sorts of stuff. So, you got to look at the cost benefit to that. Sure, if you were like a big multinational chain with, you know, someone like Kmart or something like that, then you want to have your own system. But I think for at least nine, well, eighty or ninety percent of e-commerce businesses, something like Shopify off the cloud would do cool. all they need to do. Awesome. And uh, of course, if someone wants to get you know advice or guidance on this, they can get in touch with you. Um, so, you know, just get in touch with Brendan. We'll put, put your contact details in the show notes. Um, and also, you've got an e-commerce uh, uh, membership site as well, uh, Pareto e-commerce, which a lot of people who are getting started or, you know, what sort of level would you say people who are uh, in e-commerce would benefit from being on on your um, system in terms of the membership site? Well, I'd say they probably need to be doing at least a few thousand, five to $10,000 a month in sales. But um, Okay, so using not these, for beginners? Not, not for beginners, but using, for these, beginners, okay. using these steps. I mean, if you were a beginner and started a store, as long as you're selling the right products, if you turn the product listing ads on, and you can probably DIY them, and you could also DIY getting up and running with a basic template in Shopify, you could easily get to that five grand a month in revenue just by using a few of these tools. 
Okay, cool. Anyway, uh, the, your contact details for that and links to that will be in the show notes. So cool. That'd be awesome. So what's next on the list? What's because next? We've, we've gone through these platforms of what people can use and that's a, certainly a good place to start if they don't want to get complicated. Yeah. So the next one I see all the time is getting e-commerce tracking turned on in Google Analytics. I don't know why more people don't know about this, but I see it probably at least half the... Um, the e-commerce businesses that I work with don't have this turned on, but uh, so Google Analytics can, well, the sales data can be pushed into your Google Analytics, and yep. what that enables you to do is see which traffic sources and what's generating the sales, so you can focus on doing more of that or turn things off, or you know you can actually see the sources of revenue and the sources of sales, and then change the strategy appropriately. Mm. So that's a pretty simple setting. It's a couple of clicks, and it's free too. Yeah, and of course, that is one thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, since Google did the Hummingbird update back in September 2013, God, blimey, that's a long time ago now, it's <laughs> far out, um, and have, in terms of their, their privacy policy, whatever that was that they said was the reason for this, that the keyword-specific um, terms aren't showing up in your SEO traffic anymore as to the sort and how people came into your site. Mm-hmm. You can see it, you can see it through AdWords. I'm assuming you can still see that through Google Shopping in terms of the traffic. Mm, you uh, can in the AdWords side of things. So you can go yeah, into yeah. AdWords, yeah. Yeah, in the AdWords side of things, but so any of the traffic that's still coming through uh from analytics as a um, organic search is not going to show up, correct? That's correct. So it'll just say that it's organic search. It won't show you the actual keywords. Okay, cool. All right. So, so um, that's a very quick win that people can do, and it's not complicated. Um, and the thing is, like a lot of people think, oh, I'm not going to use that. But 12 months down the track, like if you go and work with someone like me, that data is immensely powerful because I can just log in and say, well, this is working. Let's do more of that. And yeah. you know, we can get often you can double the sales just by having that data, you know, and using that data and make better decisions. Mm. Yeah, analytics is one of those tools, like any of these things, where it's probably only getting used to five percent of its capacity uh, of what it can do because um, it's such a uh, an in-depth, complex uh, system. So yeah, often it's you don't know what you don't know, and this is obviously one of those. If you keep coming across this with your clients that you start dealing with for e-commerce and they don't have this switched on, then it's not getting talked about enough by the sounds of it. So here we are talking about it. And <laughs> very cool. Cool. So anything else on that? Or you want to go to the next subject? Let's go to the next one. Okay. Uh, so we've got four more to go. So the next one is a banner cart email system. So mm. uh, let's explain what it is. So uh, an abandoned cart is anytime someone comes to the website, puts together a shopping cart, gets some part way through the checkout process and leaves the website without completing the checkout. So that's called an abandoned cart. Uh, an abandoned cart email system or recovery system or cart, abandon- cart abandonment system, what that does, it allows you to follow up and email the people or touch base with the people who got through partway through the checkout process and ask them or interact with them, send them offers, ask them what went wrong and potentially recover the sale. Yeah. Um, and this is usually powerful because if they haven't completed the checkout process, there could be there's a whole bunch of different reasons they could have got distracted, internet dropped out, something basic like that, and emailing them will just re-trigger that process. There could be something more complex, like they're looking at competitors and someone else has a cheaper product or cheaper shipping or supports a payment method that you don't or something along those lines. 
So it's very powerful in, in terms of finding out what went wrong and getting feedback from customers. And it doesn't... I'll, there's a lot of stuff out there on the web about card abandonment emails, and most people are doing it wrong. So when people set it up, uh, often they'll set it up with a goal of getting those sales back. They're so focused on, well, I've lost this sale, I need to get it back. That's really the secondary goal. It's nice if you know we have this set up and we get the sales back. What our primary goal is, is really to uncover the reason why they left and fix that. So if you're mm. getting consistent feedback that, hey, I want to pay with PayPal, you don't have PayPal on the website, then... It's yeah, yeah, that's yeah, very good point. Because, look, sorry to cut that's in there, right. but it's in, in my head that this happens a lot to me. I, I'm, I'm always abandoning shopping carts all the time. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know. So, uh, you know, if I go in and for some reason I didn't, you know, you said it, I maybe wanted to pay with PayPal and they didn't have it, and then I abandoned the shopping cart because I discovered that, quite often I'll get an email uh, from whoever it is saying, oh, you, you know, Sorry to see you didn't get the products, blah, blah, blah. We'll give you an extra 10% off. Yep. Now, that isn't solving the actual issue nope. because the 10% off isn't going to entice me to go back because they don't have PayPal. So asking the question is far more important than just making another offer. Yep. So very important. If people didn't latch on to that, they need to think about that very thing that Brendan yeah. said because that's far more critical than just trying to get the sale again. Yeah, I see it. So... I have a module in Pareto e-commerce where I explain it like this. So I explain it as if you think about it like this. If you had a retail store, let's call it Ed's Apple store where you sell Apple computers. Oh, goody. And, let's uh, set that up. <laughs> someone comes into your store, Ed, and they, they poke around. They're looking at computers or whatever. They're picking up products, sniffing around, and they leave the shop without buying anything. Mongrels. Can you imagine <laughs> running down the street after them, chasing after them, screaming out discounts, hey, come back, buy whatever, you need to buy this computer, hey, I'll give you 10% off, or I'll give you 20% off, or yeah, it's no, very I'll give you desperate. 40% off, and they'll give you something for free, I'll throw this in. Yeah. That's usually the way most people are doing abandoned card emails. You'll see that most people are setting them up with three emails, where the first one is like a, here's 5% off for a $10 coupon, or free shipping, or something like that, and then the discount gets bigger every email. Which doesn't really make sense. So, um, and I hate no. discounts as a, a marketing tool because they're big and blunt. And like you said, exactly in your scenario, that the problem has nothing to do with price. Often, it's it's something else. So, if you're just throwing away discounts, sure, you'll get some people who will come back and say, "Hey, that's that's a good deal. I'll I'll take that ten or twenty percent off." And then suddenly, you know, you kind of have this survivor bias where you you know you've justified sending the email. You're like, "Oh, well, we're getting all these sales now because we're giving this discount." Um, but you don't know the other side of the coin. There might be all these things that are broken with the site that you'll never discover because you're not asking the question. So that's yeah. what I mean around the, the focus. Don't focus on getting the sale back. Focus on finding out why the sale didn't happen and fix that instead. That'll give you the big long-term win. So you'll fix that problem, which will give you that win for every other person who comes to the site. Um, and it's just better way to market. Like it's not... It's so sleazy. It seems funny to me when I just get these automatic emails that are kind of, they're a bit slimy, just throwing discounts out at me. And it's kind of like, well, why didn't you just give me 10% off in the first place? That doesn't really make sense that now that I've left, you're happy to give me a discount. So it kind of makes me feel a bit funny as well in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So very, very good point. Yep. Very good point. So, so um, in, in terms of abandoned shopping carts, what else... Because that's that's a critical thing is actually getting more information for yep. 
fixing up your systems and your, your processes and your offers. So, so what we'll, can... we'll link to a template that I use Ooh. for most clients as the base for their banner cut email. And typically, I will only send one email because, again, it's kind of that running down the street chasing after someone scenario. Yeah. More emails may work or it may not, but most people do email marketing badly. So, if you're do it, doing it yourself, you're better off to send one high-quality email that gets a response rather than throwing out three emails that are just taking a stab at the sale. It's just a, it's a poor style of selling, if that makes sense. Mm, very good. Top tip. Very good, buddy. What's next? Cool. So, what's next is very similar, going through and customizing all the emails that go out of the system automatically. Because uh, a lot of people, I buy from an online store and I know, because I know what the a lot of the default template emails say, and particularly Shopify or buy, because a lot of people use Shopify, or a lot of e-commerce sites use Shopify. When I buy something, I'll get the order confirmation email will just be the default template of Shopify, which it's kind of like, I'm like, oh, great. Lazy. Lazy. Yep. So, my next yep. step would be to go through and customize and personalize all the emails that come out of the system. Um, and there's no right or wrong thing to do here. The, what I explained to clients I work with is you've got to think of your customer as if they were your best friend buying from the shop. So, if your best friend bought from your store, think about the emails that you would manually write to them. Hey, your order shipped. You know, usually, you know, we use this courier for shipping or this courier. Here's the tracking number. Usually, it takes three to five days to arrive. In some cases, it might be a little bit longer if you're in a, you know, regional area. You can track the status here. Here's the tracking code. If there's anything you need in the meantime, you know, hit reply on this email. And, you know, you might have another few bits and pieces in there as well. You know, some tips on setting it up or some extra information about it. But most of the emails that come out are rubbish. They're just very dry. They're not like that at all. They're not very personal style. So, just going through and customizing them and writing them as if you're writing to your best friend will make the world of difference in terms of the feeling the customer gets from your store and they're more likely to come back and they just have a better perception of you, your store and your brand. Yeah. Because that's the whole point of, you know, having an email system and doing things is you want them to come back and come back and come back. Uh, so, if you're not if you're not treating the customer correctly, then they're not going to keep coming back. So, yep. I, I keep going back to a lot of e-commerce stores. Unfortunately, most of the ones I keep going back to are all the ones that my daughter wants to shop at and she wants to use my credit card. So, I keep and I sign up. So I get the emails because it's got my credit card details on it. So I'm signed up to about 20 different uh, teenage girl clothing websites at the moment. <laughs> and um, I keep getting all their promotions. I'm going, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> so, But some of them are very good. You know, There's, there's some very clever ones that uh, that she buys stuff from and others, as you say, they're, they're lazy. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Cool. So that's emails, and always sending from a personal. Well, at, at at least give the customer the option to reply. Like sign it off with your name. Ask them, you know, tell them they can reply if they need anything. Uh, and I don't like using the "Hey, first name, mail merge" thing. We've talked about it before, I think, in mm. the email episode. But at least thirty percent of the time, unless you've gone through and cleaned it up, the data in the first name field is usually. Some people put. Their first and last name in that field, they might use it all lowercase. So if you have hey, so if I had hey Ed and it was lowercase ed, 
you kind of read that and that's, it makes you feel a bit funny. It kind of breaks that personalization. It straight away, yeah, straight away. I get a lot of them that says, hey, my surname, hey, K Smith. Yeah. I'm going, what? <laughs> Come on, seriously? So what would you recommend? That's a very good point. But how do you overcome that without well, taking the... Again, if we do it like, a, you know, if we go back to that thing about it in a retail scenario... If you had a retail store and you had a customer walk in, you wouldn't know their name, so you wouldn't go up. I wouldn't know that you were Ed coming to my store, so I wouldn't say, hey, Ed. I would say, hey, I'm Brendan. So you'd start the email off in a similar way. Hey, Brendan here. Um, hey, Brendan here from Ed's Computer Shop or whatever it is. Yeah, um, that's much safer, isn't it, really, when you think about it? Yeah. Uh, because you're not going to have that accident happen. And it happens a lot. I mean, I, I get it all the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes the systems are not foolproof. And this is, they pick up the data or display it. And it's also reliant on the person inputting the data correctly in the first place. Yeah. The other uh, thing is that I talk about a lot with people I work with is, so in person, like something like 80% of communication is nonverbal. So, you know, that's great to understand for in-person stuff. Now, when you're talking about stuff on the web, there's a lot, there's fewer things that people have to kind of get the communication. Or when you're communicating on the web, there aren't those non-verbal cues. So these tiny little details like this have a disproportionate effect on how that communication is felt and understood and the message that it's trying to get across. So these seem like stupid things that they don't really matter. It's like, ah, oh, whatever, that doesn't matter. But because of the medium, because the, there aren't those non-verbal cues, these subtle tiny tweaks and changes make all the difference. Mm. Yep, very true. Cool. All right, next. Uh, pretty simple. Have two payment gateways. Ah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've definitely we've definitely talked about that one in the past. So yeah. that's a very important one. So give us an example of two. What what is a payment gateway? First of all, for those who don't know, because there will be some who don't know what we're talking about. And then what examples would you use to uh, to differentiate a couple of different ones? So payment gateway is you know, basically methods to take credit card online. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for using two. I would always say use PayPal and like a standard credit card merchant processor like Stripe or eWay. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple of reasons why you use two. One, a lot of people like to pay with PayPal, particularly if they don't trust you so much because PayPal, is a, as a customer, it's a lot easier to get your money back with PayPal um, from dodgy retailers. Um, yeah. So customers usually have more trust using that. And also for me, when I'm buying from overseas, I don't pay any overseas credit card transaction fees or transaction fees on my credit card for you know, buying in a foreign currency. So I prefer that as well. Um, the other reason is, again, this is the money taking element of the site. So it's, it is software. So at some point, one of those payment gateways might break or might be flaky or might have some sort of issue that's making it slow. So having two gives the customer that option. They're sitting there in the checkout and say something's wrong with Stripe or eWay. It might only be a couple of hours a year that that system is down, but it's going to be down, so you've got to expect it. So having that second payment gateway allows the customer to still complete the, the process, the checkout process, um, okay. and you're not yep. losing the sale. Good point. So just to be clear here, because this, I have had clients in the past get confused with this point. So technically, PayPal, and correct me if I'm wrong, is both a payment gateway and a merchant um account as well because it's taking the money and it's and it is the actual gateway for the transaction correct uh whereas eway is purely a gateway payment 
system. Yep. It is not. It's that, but that has to be connected to your merchant account from your bank. So you would set up a an online merchant account with whoever you bank with or whoever you want to set it up with, and then that has to be fed through the payment gateway, such as eWay. Yep. Um, and then we've got Stripe, which is more similar to uh, PayPal, PayPal, where it's all, all all in one. It is the gateway and it is the merchant all wrapped up in one. Yep. So if you want to have your own merchant account separate to something like PayPal or Stripe, you need to go to your bank, get that set up, and then eWay would be one of the, the best ones out there to connect to. So two two different things achieving the same result, but they one's a bit more complicated. The eWay merchant uh, is, a, is a few more hoops to jump through in terms of getting set up. Yep. And I, particularly if you've got a bigger store, it's good. So, so on all my properties, web properties, I've got eWay and I've got PayPal. But I also have a Stripe account that's set up. It's not connected, but it's set up in case something goes wrong. Something goes wrong with my bank or eWay or whatever. I can just log in. It's you know, it's going to be technical to switch it over, but I can switch it over quite quickly if there is some some sort of issue like that. So, okay, it, it's always good to have a backup plan. So if you have a standard merchant account, then go and set up a Stripe account. It's just going to sit there until you use it. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, awesome. Um, and the only thing I think to keep in mind with something like Stripe is I've got a seven day clearing process for the funds mm -hmm. it's not it's not instant whereas merchant it's typically within 24 hours your money goes through yeah um so okay awesome cool anything else on that point uh no that's it so i've got one more and that is to at least test live chat on your site you don't have to run it forever but i'd say at least try it for 30 days if you've never had it installed before and i think we've talked about this on another episode we we have, but certainly worth talking about again. Yeah, it's uh it's kind of similar to the abandoned cart email thing, where there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff on your site that's broken or not optimal, or it's the customers aren't going to like it, or there's going to be some sort of issue the customer has with it. Um, and having the live chat, especially if it has a proactive chat option, allows you to interact with visitors in real time while they're on the site. And even mm. if you just pick up one thing that's not right, they might not be. F the common one is what shipping like what's the shipping cost or what payment methods do you accept those are the common problems or common questions we see asked um but you know you pick up one or two of those things and fix them on the site and it can make the world a difference in terms of getting the sales oh absolutely we've got a client who's a travel agent and they um they get a lot of sales through their live chat because people just want to ask a question about the, the the holiday or the package or whatever it is uh, and uh, they, typically they would hop on the phone, but if they've got someone there they can ask in, in two seconds, yep. uh, then their conversion rates for the packages go up a hell of a lot quicker. So, and we, I mean, I know you use the same thing that I use. We use something called Zopim, Z-O-P-I-M, which we have a link to for. Uh, that's a good one. There's live chat. Um, there's several others, but yep. uh, Zopim's a good one. That's part of the Zendesk organization from memory soon yep yep but uh yeah that's worth trying out just to even the little subtle things you'll see in the communication can make a big difference and also on the uh just talking about the shipping and credit card stuff uh one easy win around that is adding your shipping info and credit card or payment info to every single product page on your e-commerce website because with the product listing ads customers will be hitting the product pages directly so if you have all the information they need in uh, before they need to know before they make a purchase then it's much more likely that they're going to hit the add to cart button and check out so 
the important information is shipping cost and how can they pay and there might be a few other bits and pieces around that particular type of product um, so adding that to all the product pages can be a very easy way to increase sales as well awesome absolute gold cool so that's uh that's like we're working with a client that was probably that even though it seems like a little amount of work that could be three months worth of work maybe six months worth of work for a bigger client so yeah i mean we simplified it in terms of uh, bullet points really in what we're talking about but there there is quite a lot of work that needs to be done around the majority of what we said some of them are quite quick like the the google analytics uh, e-commerce tracking thing as you said is not a big job to, to set up no um and it's just a case of knowing that it is there and going and connecting it uh, but other things can be more time consuming to, to do of course like setting up a whole ad campaign on google shopping for the paid side of things you know that if you've got thousands of products then you've got to spend the time doing all the keyword research and getting all that set up so there's mm -hmm. a whole host of things that can take longer to do or building a completely new website <laughs> i mean that's <laughs> That's a whole other story, you know. Yeah. Um, but it does make it easier for. You know, think of how complicated it was ten years ago to go and set up an e-commerce site. You didn't have the Shopify's. I mean, I think ten years ago there was Yahoo Shopping was probably the closest thing to this from memory. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, um, and that even that was, you know, pretty average. I thought I've mucked around with it a few times. Um, compared to the the slickness of what you've got now with Shopify and big commerce, yeah, um, you really don't have to be technical to set it up. Even if you don't go and you know customize the the look and feel of the e-commerce store and stick with one of their sort of templates they've got, it's still going to be better than what you'd probably try and create yourself. You know, so yeah, yeah. I think it's fine to roll the template, particularly at the start. Um, I always talked about yeah. it in other episodes. Good quality commercial photos. It's much better, much more yeah. idea if you've got a limited budget to put the money there than um, into custom design. Yeah, because that's it. Because, I mean, you could have a, a site set up selling cameras using a template. And, yeah, there may be someone else who's using the very same template in Shopify or, or Big Commerce, but they could be selling children's clothes, you know, and it's very unlikely the same cli a client or customer is going to end up on both sites and go, oh, that looks the same as that one. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, there's only so many ways websites can really look. When, oh, well, not, not really. There's thousands of ways they can look. That was a silly thing to say. But, but, you know, I don't think people really store in their memory exactly how a website looks because they're looking at so many. They sort of forget. So, yeah. You know, um, I, I think people get hung up on that probably a little bit too much. Yep. And their logo. Don't get me started on their logo. <laughs> you know, well, I had a client that wanted to spend two thousand dollars getting a logo designed. Um, that I was speaking to a little while ago, I'm going, you are so better spending that money in so many other areas than getting a logo design. Yeah. And then, and then I sent it to Logo Nerds and, you know, for $50, she was quite gobsmacked what she could get done that would completely do the job, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Many other things to get uh, checked off in <laughs> terms of marketing and web presence than just the logo, so. For sure. All right, I'll get off that soapbox. All right, thanks, mate. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so if anyone wants to speak to you, because in terms of e-commerce, out of the two of us, you are definitely the one to speak to, because um, I do. I speak to Brendan. If I get stuck <laughs> with anything to do with e-commerce, Brendan's the man. Uh, so you'll, you'll put your email, but what's uh, the email, best email address to get you on for anything e-commerce e related? Is, uh, it's probably brendan at paredoecommerce.com. 
And Pareto is spelled P-A-R-E-T-O. So Pareto, as in the Pareto principle. Yes, the 80-20 principle. So Pareto e-commerce dot com. Yep. That's Fantastic. It. That'll be in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks, buddy. Solid gold as usual. We'll um, catch you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See ya. Bye now. You've been listening to The Business Marketing Show. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher.